the Gospel according to John, the thirteenth chapter, beginning to read at verse one. And please keep in mind this is the Word of God, and God always blesses His Word. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and girded himself with a towel. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. He came to Simon Peter. And Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not know now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part in me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he is clean all over, and you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, You are not all clean. When he had washed their feet and taken his garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you know what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of you all. I know whom I have chosen. It is that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I tell you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who receives anyone whom I send, receives me, and he who receives me 
receives him who sent me. Amen. And amen. I think most people thought it was a good joke. Most of us were able to generate a smile. The manufacturers and salespeople, they loved it as they laughed the whole way to the bank. And yes, Myron Cope won himself a little more fame with his terrible towel. But I think it's really only the superstitious and the voodoo worshipers who actually believe that the terrible towel had anything to do with the great winning season of the Pittsburgh Steelers. But I think we as Christians should be the first to remember that 1900 years ago, Jesus Christ himself said that the way that you win is that you win with the towel, which is the sign of the servant. Matthew, the 20th chapter, the 26th and 27th verses. He who would be great among you must be your servant. And he who would be first among you must be your slave. And Jesus, throughout his ministry, and not only in his teaching, but in his life, tried to bring forth the absolute truth that you win with a towel, the sign of the servant. And no better place do we see this illustrated than in this fourth gospel incident, which we have just read. Now, to fully understand it, you have to know something about Middle Eastern, ancient Middle Eastern customs. In those days, their shoes were only sandals. They didn't have automobiles, and they walked. And after bathing at home and getting all ready, before they went into anyone's house, there was always on either just the outside or inside of the door, a, a large basin. Beside that, a pitcher of water and a towel. And normally there was a hired servant there to, to wash the dust from off the feet so that you could eat dinner with clean feet. It was very precious and important that the servant, the towel, the basin and the pitcher of water were there. Now Jesus, on the night before he was betrayed, was having a private dinner party for all of his disciples and he didn't want anybody else there. He had yet many things to say unto his disciples and he wanted no interruptions and no outsiders. And he himself had made the arrangements, you'll remember, 
of a large upper room furnished, and he sent two of his disciples on that morning to go and make ready the meal. Now, the upper room was all prepared, and right inside the door was the usual basin, pitcher with water, and towel. Luke tells us, though, that before the dinner began and on their way, the disciples got into a continuing argument as to which one of them was the greatest. And by the time they got to the upper room, that argument was going at full fire. Each one was claiming that he was the greatest, or in the other way, that he had won the most prominence. And every one of them saw the pitcher, and the basin, and the towel. But every one of them knew that his particular argument would be weakened if he would assume the menial task of the servant. And remember, there were no other people there. So they ignored an ancient custom, and they came in, and they sat down, and they ate the dinner with dirty feet. And as they tried to digest the food, they were also arguing still which one of them was the greatest, and Jesus was getting indigestion. They'd missed the whole point. Three years they had been with him. They still didn't know. So Jesus rose from supper, took off his outer garment, and he girded himself with a towel. And he walked over and he took the basin. He poured the water out of the pitcher. And he started to wash the disciples' feet. The conversation ceased immediately. Silence prevailed except for the splashing of the water. And Jesus had won without a word. Jesus, by that simple act, by that visible illustration, won. The servant always wins. The person with the towel always wins. That's a principle of life taught in the Bible. But it's one that we find very hard to swallow and one that we would like to disregard. We're people who like to trade the towel in for some other commodity. But it doesn't work any other way, ladies and gentlemen. It's the person with the towel who always wins. The Old Testament knew that, and when it prophesied about the coming Messiah, the one who would liberate the world and win salvation, it did not speak of that particular Messiah coming as a political leader or as a general riding on a horse overcoming his enemy, but it speaks about a servant. One with whose stripes we shall be healed. Read Isaiah 53. It talks about a servant who will suffer. 
He shall be the redeemer of the world. And one of the reasons why people missed the importance in the personage of Jesus Christ was simply because they were looking for a general or a political leader or some high and mighty forceful person. And here came Jesus, born in a manger. This Jesus who thought equality with God was not something to be grasped but voluntarily emptied himself and took on himself the form of a servant. And the message of the Christian church is that on Easter morning after the darkness of Good Friday where it looked like he had lost, on that morning the world knew that Jesus the servant had won. That's biblical. You super salesmen, and boy, there are many of you here today, and how proud I am of you. You understand that principle, that it's the person with the towel who always wins. You know that if you go to someone and offer only an idea or an item, you're going to lose. But if you put on the towel, and go as a servant, and you offer service, you win. Many of you very wise teenagers, not all teenagers are wise, but many of you are. You know the principle. It's the same. You come up to mom and dad, you get arrogant, rude, demand your rights, and you're in for a battle. But you put on the apron. You become a servant. You do your chores willingly. You show evidence of responsibility. And eventually, anything you ask of your parents, you'll get it. You'll win. Why can't you understand that? Television's got this thing. Every once in a while, a new serial comes in that illustrates this theme that the one who wears the towel always wins. And if you question me, just think back and remember. There's no question in anyone's mind who ran the house in which Hazel worked as a servant. Where would family affair been with all of its victories without Sebastian Cabot? Mr. French won all the time. And even the current and controversial soup. You know, amongst all those loony people, the only, the only one that has any sanity and always wins is Benson. The one with the towel. Shame on you for watching that anyway. <laughs> the one with the towel always wins. Always wins. But for some reason or another, we don't follow that philosophy. 
We seem to buy more the idea of the world who says that if you're going to win, you've got to rise, 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 get, get, get. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says if you're going to win, you've got to put on the towel and down, 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 give, give, give. But we're afraid to trust that philosophy, even with Jesus Christ and the cross and with, with Easter morning. Even with the knowledge that we know that you become master when you're the servant. You become first when you're the slave. We still try to trade in the towel for such other things as the profit sheet, efficiency, or that synthetic fiber called self-service. Look what we've done to the grocery industry. I'm just old enough to remember the good old corner grocery store. You can remember there on Murray Avenue and Squirrel Hill. And if it wasn't in the midst of a ball game that my mother called me to take the errand, I usually enjoyed it. And I'd go with a little slip, you know, five or six items. Sometimes we went three, four times a week then to the grocery store. We'd walk in, there'd always be somebody we'd recognize behind the counter. It was the same person week after week, month after month. And whoever was back there, they always had on, you know, the proverbial bid white apron towel. Usually you called them by name, they called you by name. <laughs> and they went and got the products, not you. I'll never forget, I was always fascinated with that long stick that had a mechanism attached to it that had kind of a claw up at this end and a trigger down at this end. And with accurate precision, they'd go over and pick up that, that little round box of rolled oats from off the top shelf and pull it off and catch it with the waiting hand. I was fascinated. Real servants. And then when you're all done, they'd take that brown paper bag and with a short, stubby, need to be sharpened soft lead pencil. They'd begin to write down the figures so large that you could read them clear across the other side of the store. And with them adding them from that side and you looking upside down and adding the figures, they'd come up with the total, you'd pay them with a few dollars, and you'd go home happily satisfied, especially as in my younger days I'd get two free pieces of petty candy. It was a great experience. I learned a lot in the old corner store. But what do we have today? The supermarket. We get out of our automobile, we go in, we grab one of those two-tiered, four-wheeled, silver things, and we begin to push and start playing the game of bump them and dodge them. <laughs> Up one aisle and down the other watching out defensively as how the other person is driving his little buggy. Things go pretty good until you're in the aisle number four where two neighbors have stopped to visit right between the pickles and the jellies. 
You just can't get through. Eventually you do. And then when you're all done, you get the job of standing in a long line. Of course, you get to choose your line. And then when eventually it's your turn to get up to that person who's been out of necessity, turned into a mechanic and must work as mechanically as the machine he or she operates, never has time to speak. You have the privilege of writing out a big check because you're afraid to carry that much cash. <laughs> and you take home the bundles, maybe make two or three trips and hope, just hope, that you'll never have to come back again. And that's all done in the name of self-service. And we've traded the apron in for such efficiency as that. Look what we're doing to the gasoline business. We're in the process of doing that right now. You remember the time, it wasn't just but a few months ago, you could travel anywhere in these United States of America, and when you stopped at a gas station, you could expect service. There are a few of them left today. Now you go in, and you get out of your car. It's wonderful when the temperature's only five degrees above Fahrenheit. You wrestle that hose out of the tank. You put it into the gasoline tank. You stand there in the cold. You forget all about the crankcase and the radiator and the battery and the poor tires. Nobody looks at them anymore. And when you're all done, you wrestle the nozzle back into the tank. You run inside, and there's not a service person, but an attendant. And he is sitting on a big stool behind a console that looks like it belongs in the cockpit of a 747. <laughs> you don't speak because he reads his figures. You pump the gas. You know what it takes. Usually he's a little bored because this is really not service. This is just sitting. Because we've traded the apron in for efficiency, better profits, self-service. I wonder which institution will be next. Education? Government? The financial world? Churches? Ministry? <laughs> Do your own funeral. That'd be quite a feat. <laughs> I honestly think one of the reasons why so many of us are unhappy and dissatisfied and can laugh, yes, at ourselves because we're these people who have traded in the apron is simply because we don't quite realize what all we've done. I really think churches, schools, hospitals, government, business, are in trouble today simply because for one reason or another we have traded the towel in on something else. I know I hope that you will never let me forget that here on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. we participate in a worship service.
which means that you people who come here have a right to expect the best service possible so that all of us can go out and become better servants of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Not just to entertain or amuse or instruct, but to be of service. Why do we give the apron up? When we do, you see, everybody loses. Not only the office of the servant, but those whom they are to serve are lost. And we're so unhappy and disgruntled and worked up. I know I, for one, would be much happier if repair people really began to repair right the first time. And governors would begin to govern. And legislators would begin to legislate instead of getting themselves into all types of legal problems. And workmen would begin to work, and laborers would begin to labor. And whatever form of ministry or service you are in, you would become a servant and put on the towel. But many of us will not. Why? Only one reason that I can figure why, even though we know that the one who wears the towel always wins, we don't put on the towel because for some reason or another we're afraid. Afraid that somebody will take advantage, that somebody will treat us as being subservient, that we'll lose our superiority, that we will lose our rights. I'm not sure a servant has too many rights. But a servant who becomes one voluntarily, you see, rights really don't matter. He knows who he is. You see, the wonderful thing about Jesus in this passage, John tells us that before he rose from supper, laid aside his garments and girded himself with a towel, it says in verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he, meaning Jesus, had come from God and was going from God. In other words, Jesus could be a servant because he knew who he was. He knew he was coming from God. He knew he was going from God. And he knew in faith and practice God had already given everything to the ever needed into his hands. So what difference does it make what other people say about you, do to you, try to hurt you? It makes no difference. You have everything. Before a person, you see, can have the freedom to be excited and to enjoy the privilege and to find honor in the position of servanthood. He has to know who he is. And we, ladies and gentlemen, are servants of God. Jesus Christ came as master of the world, but he came as a servant. And a servant is not greater than the master. But we're afraid 
to be. And of course, we in the Christian church claim that the only way you can know who you are is by realizing who God is. And we in the Christian church say we have a monopoly on that. We alone know who God is because God chose to reveal himself in Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus Christ, we see God. And when Jesus Christ touches us and washes us, then it is we are made clean and we know who we are. And then without fear or hesitation, we become the servants of God. See, the whole purpose for this very lengthy sermon, and I'm sorry it's so long, is to try in some way, unique way, some enjoyable way to remind all of you of your baptism. To remind you that God in Jesus Christ through your baptism has washed you and me. That God through Jesus Christ has given everything that is absolutely necessary into our hands. God through Jesus Christ has given us the grace where we can be saved. He's given us the meaning of forgiveness. He has given us love. He's given us faith. He 